welcome to Unboxing, Play and Profit for the Gaming Curious. I'm Lane Nooney. I'm Joost van Verde. And we are here digging deep on why games matter in today's economy. On the docket today, Friday, November 4th, 2022, in the news, Yoast has been running the numbers on the game industry's numbers. Our favorite data jockey has reads on Microsoft, Sony, and Electronic Arts. And we'll be discussing the anticipated 2.5% downturn in China's game market. All that and more with your two autumnal co-hosts. First, we've got some catching up to do. Yoast, this is our, I don't quite know if this going to if the recording if the video part of this is going to work but we are doing our first remote episode because i might have covid <laughs> Woohoo! not yeah. not on the covid thing i'm very excited about the remote options although i do feel a distance but i'm sorry to hear that you may or may not be contaminated you know we make the most out of every crappy situation and so i thought it was a good way to start testing experimenting with more technology we now also have the benefit of potentially videotaping this thing so people can see yeah our bewildering faces i hope that you will get to see this the yost's fisheye camera and his his little guitar and his little bookshelves in the background he looks very smart it's my man cave and he's where he's just eating his microphone Roger. Yeah, I person I've been seeing got COVID yesterday, so I am in a quasi-quarantine. I don't feel great, so it's not looking good, but we'll see what happens. And we'll see what it's like trying to edit this Zoom audio in Descript. So also, we Yoast, you were enthusiastically texting me about how we got more than 2,000 listens already. We did. We did. Our numbers are up, Lane. We are, we are going to the moon. Okay, and uh, so we, because we've been getting like 200 listens an episode, but now we we only have what like eight episodes, so those numbers are this, rising. We have nine episodes out currently, and this one would be number 10, I think. Okay. Pretty sure. And so our numbers are going up. There's apparently some people, I talked to a few buddies and colleagues, they listen to them in bulk. They listen to like four or five at a time. Oh my God. I encourage you do not do that. That seems excessive. That's... That is a lot of Lane and Yoast at once. But hey, to each his own. That, is that a way that people listen to podcasts? That's they, they go on like an hour or two run, and then they're like, "Yeah, let's let's just listen to a bunch of these and like fast forward to the boring bits and like get to the like the good parts or whatever." And they just kind of like, I'm the guessing end. they skim it like you would do with a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, all this stuff about the pod, but also people love to know about us. Halloween updates. Yoast, how was your Halloween? Ooh, I have the new candy revenue model where I take my newborn and this year we put her in a pineapple costume. Oh my and God. Just walk, just walk around. You don't even have to like trick or treat anywhere. People will just give you candy. I got a walk photo with a cute child. of that child and it was unbelievable. Brought me to it's... tears. <laughs> In a pineapple costume, pushing a tiny stroller with a Bowser plushie doll in it. Yep, it was, it was a full deal. Uh, it was a, uh, it's, and everything is bright pink. My the other half of my family is a Caribbean, so they love their uh, neon colors, like <laughs> yellow and pink. And it's just you know you can see her from across the street, and she's just a happy kid. So people will just bring you full candy bars. We got a Musketeer bar. We got a, somebody gave us a. A whole bag of Kit Kats. 
Whoa. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm telling you, it's like, this is my new thing. So I'm just going to stand somewhere with a bucket and this baby and just have people donate candy to the cause. <laughs> so if you see my waistline ex- expand, you know that it's the baby's fault. Okay. How about you? Like, what, were you dressed up? You were, you were, you seemed dangerous. I, I did actually, I got a, I got a text telling me exactly that. I was, I dressed up as a Boy Scout. I mm. finally put that whole outfit together. So it was like a Boy Scout shirt. I had the sash. I had the scarf. I had the little, the little metal thing you put the scarf through. I had the little classic kind of military hat and little, little blue shorts. Yeah, I was, I mean, it was not a, it was an it was an adult take on a on a on a Boy Scout. I went with the neighbor children down the hall trick or treating with them. And where if you live in the village, where you go is you go to 10th and 11th Street between like fifth and sixth, and this is where all the famous people live apparently. And so they give out like whole ass candy bars. They give out bags full of stuff. There's smoke machines. It's an absolute matter. I was there with like a three-year-old and it was so, I had to tell another kid to watch his ass. Like there were just so many children. And then these parents or whoever they are, just with their, their bowls of candy at the top of a stoop. So you've literally just created like a sliding dangerous, dangerous, like, you know, situation where all these children are fighting to get up the stairs and then they can't get back down and people are stepping on pumpkins. It was madness. It was a lot. It's fantastic. I, yeah. Did you, so you caught no MILFs. I caught no MILFs, no. So, so basically all this talking is to obfuscate the fact that you came home empty handed. I, I did get gender policed by two different children. That was wild. Mm. I thought the kids were more lit, but one, no one, no one under the age of 40 knows what a Boy Scout is, or maybe 35, right? Especially if you live in New York City, you just don't see them. And so there were kids who were like, what are you? And I was like, I'm a Boy Scout. And they just looked at me and they're like, you mean a Girl Scout? And I was like, how can you even tell that I'm female right now? Like this, this just doesn't, it was, I, I was really surprised that these kids were so on me about my gender. And I was, I was like, what a real lack of imagination you have. But what's okay. what's the uh, what's the non-binary term for a scouts person? Is that a like you can't if you know, if you can't make the assumption, right, then w- what have they been calling themselves? I mean, have they been calling uh, themselves? it's well, I think I think it was more. I was just like, it's Halloween, guys. Like you can be whatever. You can also change your gender. You can like, right? Like, like this fucking three-year-old is a witch. This baby's a pineapple. Like, what are we even talking about here? You know? No, Why we- look, I, I get your perspective. I'm just sort of like <laughs> definitionally. I think, well, have, the scouts, uh, scouts have undergone some changes where now I think boys and girls can be in the Boy Scouts and maybe mm-hmm. also the Girl Scouts. I think they might just be called the Scouts now, but they're still kind of two different traditions of them i don't super know i feel like in new york all you learn about is the girl scouts during that one time a year that they sell cookies mm-hmm. and that's it and like you never see you never see like scouts out in the world in new york so scouts. well which which is related to my second question so was this an outfit that you had on hand from like some, had, some jagged past I, that we should know about <laughs> or is this a purchase you know i'm just gonna say we're running out of time on this opening segment but mm. I had I had some elements. Answer of, the question, Lane. I had some elements of this of this outfit already in my possession, 
And then I, I, I made sure to buy some of the final ones. This was the first time it had ever all come together and the results were good. That's all I'm gonna say. Yes, I bet you, you already owned the MILF net that you used. <laughs> So, Yoast, you sent me last night an absolute boatload of info from your Substack on, you know, everything from Electronic Arts's net bookings, which are okay but not great, Sony's subscription revenue, which is seems to be backsliding no matter what they do, and Microsoft's console sales versus services revenue, which is telling us an uneven story. It seems like across the board, in particular subscriptions are not doing as well as many of these companies hope, but basically you swept all these details up into your a newsletter that you, you sent out. I think it's bi-weekly now, but I was wondering what beyond this list of facts, right? It's a real data dump. What are our key, what key takeaways should we have in mind as the game industry wraps up this quarter? Right. So the yearnix season started, which means everybody and their mother starts to release the numbers. It's the big companies first. Usually Microsoft's very early, Sony's early, and then starting next week, we'll have all the other ones. So one of the things that people are looking for this earnings season is, okay, what's up with consumer demand, right? We've just had two years of this supercharged pandemic demand cycle where everybody wanted to play more, spend more, and that's starting to wane. When are we going to see that in the numbers and, and what does that look like? And so the lead up for a lot of companies in tech and entertainment, I learned yesterday also in media, which isn't released just yet, but so there's layoffs everywhere, right? So we've had several weeks of just, you know, it is going not just around. a few. It's going around and then there is people like HR departments are running over time, getting rid of all these people everywhere and paying out these severance packages, I hope. That they're doing that in a humane way. It's the so, but that sets the tone for a softening consumer market and what's next, right? So you see that Apple is having a harder time. That's one of the, that's one of the biggest baddest companies out there, right? So so share prices go down, and so, of course, the economy is kind of crap, and the leadership around the economy is possibly crappier, where it's a bit like wait and see. Right, so we have Mr. Powell making some changes, and it seems like yeah, the people at the bottom they they need to really just like give a little bit more. While at the top, you see billionaires buying tech toys. Anyway, so the big takeaway, or one of the big things to look for in the earnings this season, is how bad is it going to be, and who's got their house in order and kind of withstands what's going on. So you mentioned already a few points around number numbers, right? It's a core indicator for loyalty. So Sony, their PlayStation Plus subscriber base dropped from 47.3 to 45.4 million, mm. which makes it the third quarter in a row that they have a decline, even though they recently did a revamp of their offering, right? PlayStation Plus packages and all this cool subscription stuff. Um, but of course, Sony, while losing subscribers, still manages to make more money. Right, its yeah. network is network services division, which is basically the overarching term for it, is up from six seventy nine to seven ninety four million, and it's crazy because they have fewer users and more monies. Right, and, and how, you start how to do see you, then how do you explain that? Well, you know, in Sony's case, I'm skeptically inclined to say that's what an incumbent does; they just raise prices. But more generally, a lot of these 
platform companies, they have moved away from transaction-based revenue where they sell a thing one time and then maybe never see you better, back. They want to have recurrent revenue, right? Oh, uh, so is Sony's network services, is that the everything that gets sold through the, basically online, it's not just the subscription? Correct. Right. Okay. So it's okay, it. microtransactions, which of course allow you to string things out, expand and, packs, and the, kind of dump those. Yeah. And the passes and everything. Okay. Got exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, and the subs. So they did sell a lot of PlayStation 5s, of course. They sold 25 million today to 3 million in the first three months up to October, which is more than they did with the PlayStation 4. They also sold 63 million physical copies still. It's down 20% compared to last quarter, but it had a big release. You know, it gives you, if you average it out, another metric for the games industry, for the physical bit at least, is attach rate, which is another way of saying how many games per console uh, per household. And in this case, that would make it about two and a half games per console, which is roughly in line with historical figures. So growth for these companies doesn't come from selling more units. It comes from hmm. charging more for their services, which is sort of the game that they're all after. Right. Interesting. Um, and then, of course, or, or finally, are you? Are you? Let me ask a question. So, does that mean it's not? It's not about right because units is not even a relevant metric here, right? It's 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 not even about onboarding more people or getting more users. I mean that that's one thing it can be. Oh, about, they're trying but, to. They're trying yeah. to. But, but somehow they know, can lose subscribers and still make more money. It's wild because. Well, that's that's what the service model allows you to do, right? So, they, yeah. they, I mean, Netflix does the same. HBO does the same. All of them. Every single service, whether it's like entertainment or, I don't know, your fucking Substack, like they could just like just lower the the pain point the pain point a little bit. And what are you gonna do, right? Like this is now a nexus for your social interaction with like some group of people, or this is what you do ten hours a week for fun. It's like, well, you're not gonna give like the price price elasticity goes down. It becomes less inelastic, uh, less elastic. No, I say people don't care about price increases as much, and so they can't. They can raise their price, and they have been. They've been increasing their prices of their games from sixty to seventy bucks. They've been increasing yeah, yeah, their yeah. prices of their PlayStations. Yeah. They now, also this... announced. Go ahead. Let me let me finish it up. So, they also announced the PlayStation VR two, their new headset, which costs you five hundred and forty nine dollars. Doesn't have a game and still requires a PlayStation five. So really, you're like well over a thousand bucks, putting it sort of in the same range of expenses as the Quest Pro, which is at fifteen hundred bucks, of course. And so, you know, these companies, they seem to be totally comfortable doing all this, even though the economy is having a much harder time, consumers have a hard time, inflation is real, you know, but that's exactly what incumbents can afford. It reminds me of the Scott Galloway's line that Apple is an index of the world's richest billion people. And that that's all they're really worried about, right? Is that all they need mm -hmm. to be worried about is the people who have the most money to spend. And as long as they're spending, you know, the, the, the actual numbers on the spreadsheet, or the actual number of units or users on the spreadsheet can be a little more mutable than in more you know traditional brick and mortar sales. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that was Sony. Then Microsoft has having a bit of a harder time. You know, as the number two in consoles, they did sell more units. Gaming revenue was up, but only half a percent year over year, three point six billion. But they do have a content decline and lower engagement across the board. So content and services were down 3% for them, which, you know, is, none of these are numbers that you really should know anything other about than the fact that they're relatively like on the lower end. These yeah. aren't the 20, yeah. 30% they're changes. Not, they're, what we're not seeing is the massive drive to subscription in gaming. Is that Correct. like this? It's interesting in that context of like the Activision purchase. The two other things for the Microsoft report numbers... 
has been Game Pass has generated 2.9 billion in 2021, which we learned from a legal filing in Brazil, which you know, <laughs> following that disclosure, they immediately took down and they whatever they obfuscated it. But it's interesting to see that that's what they made. It's $3 billion. It's not bad. They sank a bunch of money in it, but that's clearly working. And it gives you an indication of what that looks like. However, the second piece of that is that they also did not meet their targets for the Game Pass subscriber base two years in a row now. It grew 28% compared to last year, but that's still well below the 73% of that I was mean, their initial target. What a, what a positively, insanely bullish estimate you know, 73 was, and and then to only return such a fraction of that. Uh, I really well, uh, would I mean, love to know what they, what they based that initial pitch on. That's a good, that's a good question. What they, the, what the model was. Like but, you why know, if, they if, thought 73% was even achievable. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think that it's because they also, I mean, as a side data point, they disclosed also that the, they had an hundred percent increase uh, of people using their Xbox cloud gaming service. So roughly from 10 million users to 20 million users streaming games. So, you know, if you take that number as sort of a proxy or an adjacency, it's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. But, you know, if I give you a 28% salary raise, I think you'll be happy about that. So, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. these internal targets, they might be sort of like, that's the ultimate goal. But if we come halfway, shit, it's still go fine. Last name in the bucket is EA. 1.8 billion in bookings which was roughly what they call consensus. So you have Wall Street analysts that they sit around and they come up with a number of what they think you're going to make for EA and every other company that they cover. And that's roughly in line. You know, it's a little bit below, of course, a little light, so they don't like that, but it's within range of what management puts out. So you always have the same thing where you have the actual number, the reported earnings, then you have consensus, which is already expected across smart people in Wall Street. And then there's guidance from management and they said, 1.725 and 1.775, so whatever. It's slap dab in the middle. What they did, so they're fine. So that doesn't cost them any anything on the share price. People are like, all right, fine. But Wall Street bought it more. What's interesting with EA is that they, of course, have other... Uh, they suffer from the same sort of mobile slowdown a little bit, but FIFA is holding them upright. So FIFA 23 sold an extra 10% in its first four weeks compared to the FIFA 22 release. It's predecessor. I am blown away by how much people love that obviously exploitative game. It's it's really wild. You know, yeah. this uh, this is I think just from the the unit sales, right? So that's oh, an impressive just, number. Okay. Yeah. Well then, you know, I think in general like the FIFA franchise is important because the football as it is properly called, but I guess in American you call it soccer is a game that is a global game. And that yep. it's growing in, yep. in its fan base, right? It's not just in North America, also in Asia and all these other places. So so that makes sense that you just have a larger addressable audience and they want to buy it. But FIFA is problematic for two reasons. One of them is that they, of course, are now hosting the World Cup in Qatar. Mm -hmm. And particularly younger fans, they are having none of it. They're like, look, man, human rights first, and then we do sports, not the other way around. And so, you know, that's a bit of a struggle when it comes to rejuvenating your user base. The second piece of it is that FIFA is an EA broke the relationship. So I think they have one more title coming out. Maybe this is the last mm. one. And then EA is going off script and doing its own soccer thing. Like I forget oh. what it's called, but it's it's something kind of tried, you know. But they they end up losing the visibility of the IP. And I don't know nobody really knows what that means. Yeah, for them, I mean, if you don't have access to the players, 
you don't have you don't have the game that everybody wants, right? That well, that it, seems yes. that seems like a, a da- that seems like quite a gamble. That it seems like a huge gamble. Could hugely. I was I was thinking just the whole kind of the fantasy the foot stuff with with FIFA, right? The 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 fantasy packs and the the grinding to get to the the key players, right? FIFA is just has been so excellent at installing these microtransactions in the process of that game. So ultimate team is a moneymaker. It's a subscription model, basically. Yeah. And he's like, you just give your 60 bucks every year, just like the NFL Madden fans. Like they can't help themselves. I, I had a yep. conversation yesterday with a bunch of people about golf. Same thing. Like, people are about it, in it, for it. Uh, you know, that's what they're going to do. And that makes the revenue model very predictable, which is one of the strengths of EA, of course, with these franchises. Mm-hmm. Losing it might be problematic down the line. So interesting. Great. So we can think of each of these companies as sort of having a subscription model story inside of itself as we look to how earnings are going to wrap up for this quarter and change in the next. You want to move on to our next topic, Yost? Let's go to China. All right. Let's hop on a plane, go to China. So according to a recent report, the domestic Chinese game market is slowing down for the first time in two decades. This is a bit of a turnaround, even from what was expected. In an analysis by Nico Partners, they were originally predicting low growth back in April, but now that has been revised to a negative 2.5% shrinkage year over year against 2021. Yost, what, what, what do we need to know to help unpack this? So full disclosure is that I'm an advisor to Nico. Oh, um, cool. <laughs> so, so not to flex, but to say, you know, uh, I uh, I'm not I'm not partial to whatever they put out. Like I have no say in that, so I can only reflect on what they put out. But uh, I do know the team well. That's right. Uh, but Great. that said, ethics in game podcasting, absolutely. You know, imagine getting caught later. The information that they put out is interesting always because they're one of the few, if not the only company that covers the space, and they've yep. done that for a long time. You know, just as a sidestep, first of all, like Asia is an interesting market for the games industry for a few reasons. One of them, of course, historically, Japan was the powerhouse, but in the last 12, 15 years, because of mobile, China has just taken over, right? Tencent, NetEase, those companies are now the big dogs, and they've really drawn a lot of gravitational force towards the Chinese market, both on the supply side as well as the consumer side. Um, And so growth has been basically the one message that we've only heard about. This is the first decline in 20 years. Right. So that's an that's an interesting point. It's like, hey, wait a minute, what's going on there? This includes 2018 when the Chinese government shut down its approval process. You know, Tencent lost three billion dollars, according to my calculation, uh, which is a lot of money, and yet still things were up and up and up. Right. Yep. So the focus in this report is on mainland revenue, so spending within China, and it's not entirely clear how that reflects on them more internationally, but Companies like Tencent and NetEase, they are, of course, focused on you know mitigating their risks. So they've been making acquisitions, purchases elsewhere. Tencent, of course, has pieces of Ubisoft. NetEase bought Quantic Dream, I think, recently. Some some French developer. And so it's but it's interesting that it comes from this particular researcher that they are turning those numbers down for the first time. So what are your thoughts on this? Like, you know, I know my bit, but like you have a history of as you a historical perspective more as you described in a previous podcast on the Chinese market and the protagonists within it. What's your take on on this turnaround? Yeah, I mean, ever since I started 
I, I took an interest in, in the Chinese game industry kind of as an outcome of teaching a game economies class and feeling like I needed to take a lot more ownership of that space. So I love to be tapped into China's game markets, especially because it helps me, one, in my teaching with, with my student body and also kind of as an antidote to this total fixation we tend to have on Western markets or to see them as the center of the game industry. There's just such a totally different way that all of this is happening in, in China. It, it's, it's, it's a really interesting, it seems like there's a very interesting confluence of factors that is resulting in this downturn. And I, I think even in the, the kind of small pieces of this report we were able to get from Nico Partners, I think they do a good job of outlining this, right? So step one, the question becomes, where is the decline coming from, right? So you have to look at your you know, your mobile versus your PC versus your console. And, and in the assessment, this drop seems to be largely because of impacts in the mobile sector, right? So mobile mm -hmm. took the biggest hit. It was actually the only part of the industry that shrank. It shrank 5%, which, you know, is significant given that mobile is 66% of the domestic market. So really then, you know, what was offsetting that PC <coughs> Sorry, that's probably PC was, you know, PC offset. I should, man, during the China bit, come on. Oh, man. Ah, uh, oh, terrible. PC offset some of that decline. It perked up for 2% for the first year of growth in 2017. It's the second largest sector behind mobile at around 30%, which only leaves, you know, poor little console market 4%. It's almost like, why are we, why are we making a slice in the, in the, in the graph for this? But that did have the biggest increase of almost 15%. So, you know, it, those, those factors are kind of evening out, but ultimately resulting in a, in a decline. And so, What's going on in mobile? So you have first, according to Nico Partners, lower spending just generally, right? And this is a global trend. I'm not, I'm not sure where in the world spending is up, right? And so this, there's a, there's a kind of global constriction. And part of this is in the China specific case that continuing austerity in granting game publishing licenses. So that long-standing tension, we might say, between the Chinese government and the Chinese game industry that the government is often willing to step in and, and, and throttle or kind of tighten up the rampant potential for profitability of the Chinese market. And so also a flatter launch title performance. So what new games came out, it doesn't seem like they benefited a lot from the fact that they were some of the only stuff out there, that they actually kind of fizzled more than popped. And of course, Apple's app tracking policies, the changes in that have just made, you know, mobile gaming is less profitable in a variety of ways, right? And of course, play limits for young people. I was particularly surprised here by some of the numbers that Nico was able to put here saying that about half the youth market does abide by the play restrictions. And so that's, you know, that's roughly something like 52, I think, or 54% are doing the thing where they have to be logged in, they're limited in how many hours they can play on a given day or on a weekend, which just, right, once you once you shrink the amount of time they can spend, obviously you're going to you're going to have a waterfall effect into profitability there. And the other thing I thought was so interesting was they said that 39 million young people have stopped playing altogether, which just seems like a shocking Shocking number. And and this was something I had been curious about because my students in my classes tend to be pretty blasé 
about mm. the the government regulations. They're like, oh yeah, I just buy a burner phone or I get a gray market phone or I, you know, I use this person's account or whatever. They they know all of this. They know how to operate within these systems where they can get the things that they want. And I've always wondered to what extent that is a class-based knowledge rather mm. versus a, a generational knowledge, right? And so what this seems to indicate is that that might those kinds of abilities to know how to operate in those systems, access to those other sorts of, you know, gray markets or whatever might have to do, you know, what that these impacts might be throttling the play, particularly of kids with access to less resources, right, in China. So those are just, yeah, some of my thoughts. Ultimately, Nico doesn't see this as a continual decline. So you know, all as all markets aim upward, Nico does still estimate about a 2.6, you know, annual growth rate between last year and 2026. So even though there's this dip in 2022, mm. they're not seeing this as a long-term prospect. So it's not a not systemic. No, no. There's just like last year was high, this year's a little low, but then if you look at their graphs, they're saying they're up and up and up. Yeah, it's interesting, right? It's how these markets get limited, but I was looking into the games market in India, which is sort of an obvious market for for China to penetrate. And they did until the India's government said, no, thank you. And they shut (laughs) them down. Engaged in a little bit of their own cultural protectionism. Right. And it's, you know, India has 1.3 billion people. And not only that, it's predominantly mobile. And they had a billionaire not so long ago basically make mobile data plans virtually free. So they have the lowest cost yes. for mobile broadband in the world. It's like 12 cents per gigabyte or something like that makes them like the number five in the world yeah. compared to like five, six bucks in the US and some other ridiculousness everywhere else. So it's like, <coughs> so here is this country that is massive and they are all mobile and they have cheap access and China can't do nothing with them. So you see the emergence of like local developers, which is kind of cool, but yeah, you you get, you get a sort of domestic and slash indigenous game industry. I remember going to a GDC talk about the game industry in China, maybe four or five years ago at this point. And you could just, you could just hear the salivating because it was Mm -hmm. right around the time when the broadband prices dropped. And you could tell that these, particularly the Western majors wanted to figure out how do we get our foothold? How do we dominate this space? How do we, choke out a domestic industry before they can ever even threaten us. And, you know, I think, yeah, what's going, there's a lot to watch in terms of what's going on with India's game industry. In the world of fun slash weird teaching stuff, Yoast, I, I can tell that you can't ever help yourself. You've been making charts about what your students write their papers on. And data is what my passion. Data is his passion, everybody. <laughs> So what is that showing you? I, 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 have a, I have a different kind of way that I temperature check where the students are at. And I definitely have been noting some real transitions in their interests. I, don't, I haven't quantified mm. that knowledge. I'm a qualitative scholar. But what are you, what are you learning? You, you say it as if that's is better. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you sound like a vegan. You're like... I'm a quality. I mean, I'm not. Scholar. I'm not busy I counting how many, body, how many, meat. how many, how many beans are in a glass. You know, that's like, well, what. Are, what? I, I, I am a, I am a person that knows how to count, unlike some of us, and it shows in the numbers that there is a transition. So I, I like to stay sort of on top of what the students are about, and that's the pretext of that is I've been teaching the class for quite a while now. I think about 
a little bit over a decade. And I can see trends generally in my students' behaviors before they become a big deal or before they stop being a big deal, right? So yep. an obvious example is, of course, like Facebook, like nobody cared. Um, and then at one point I had, I would have like live streamers in my classroom, you know, a bunch of people with blue hair that would make money playing World of Warcraft on Twitch. <laughs> yeah, like that's interesting. And then they went away again, right? That sort of that became, they came and they went. Same thing with esports. At one point I had no one, then I had a few. And then at some point I had someone who was the, the, the coach for the Overwatch team at NYU. I can see what sort of the ebbs and flows. And so esports has been a part of the midterm topics. And that's, that's where this particular data point comes from. I, so we just did the grading and the feedback stuff. And I have enough students to kind of get a, you know, just kind of like a flavor of what's on their mind, right? That you ask them to write a paper on, you know, pick your favorite game company and tell them what they should be doing with their time. Like, how can they do a better job? What's the big thing that they're missing out on? Whatever. And so they write this paper. And, you know, generally speaking, that is about some new products, some new markets, some penetration, one way or the other, some technology. And this year, the so far, at least for the midterms, it's just the metaverse is all there is, right? So uh, compared to 2021, Esports dropped from 45% of the papers as a major theme to 38. So it's roughly the same. It's a little less. Fashion was 6% and is now 4%. So that was a bigger topic last year. But the metaverse was 4% last year. And this year it's 25. So a oh, six, six toppling. Hate well, it. I, I know you do. And I, I'm not a big fan myself, but not so much the metaverse. I think. You know, the metaverse isn't really the problem. I think it's the people talking about the metaverse, which, of yeah. course, I yeah. immediately will incriminate myself. But the problem is that, it is, you know, I had the same thing with VR a few years ago. It's this idealized blank sheet. We can just project all of our desires on this technology that doesn't exist yet. But it's interesting to read what these students have to say. They, they feel like, hey, this is an interesting way to expand the universe, to create some synthetic environments where we can do things that we couldn't do before. And so you know, it, in terms of how it's on their mind, I think it's a, a notable observation because mm-hmm. I don't make them say anything. In fact, I, I cover the metaverse kind of at the end of the semester because God knows what that is or is going to be. So that's more of a forward-looking yeah. thing. But it's already on their minds now. And I find that I find it interesting. The, the increase is, is notable to me. Does does metaverse esports and fashion cover all of it, or are there other little pockets of? Interest? That's the, that's that's only other ones that I looked at, but it covers most of the numerically the number of papers. No, I've had a lot of students. You know, I do a very different assignment. This sort of quasi history of the present assignment, uh, mm-hmm. where also in, in I, it's funny. I wonder if sometimes sometimes students do presentations in my class and they try they they create a thesis around trying to fix a game company and i wonder if what they are learning that from you and then i yell at them for that right like that's i'm mm-hmm. like that's not what we're here to do we're here to like analyze the <laughs> logic of capitalism not to tell a company how to make money better and that <laughs> that sometimes takes a little unpacking on on my side of the wall you change the system from within lane that's because yeah that's that's what the metaverse is gonna do but certainly i've been i have I, I got, you know, music seems to be a huge interest among 
a number mm -hmm. of them. Lots mm -hmm. of students interested in talking about live concerts, you know, groups like KDA, Riot's kind of independent, you know, or it's its own music labels. Also, how are you doing with NFT crypto stuff? How I, oh, does that come like, up or yeah, how am yeah. I personally how it, handling it? How, how much is it coming up? I would say that I am probably getting more students interested in writing about crypto than they are in writing about the metaverse. Really? That's yeah. interesting. I think I there's nothing to that. write about with the metaverse. Like, what would you possibly write about? There's no metaverse company. Every once in a while, I get a student who wants to write on like, you know, Facebook meta labs or so, something, but mm -hmm. there's no object there, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there's maybe Roblox, but in terms of opening up an actual new category of, of companies that we may consider part of the game industry, or monetization styles. I have a paper in my stack. I got a grade on Plato. Yeah, I would say that there's increasingly, they're not a dominant number, but it's getting to be maybe like, you know, four to five out of 50 are, mm -hmm. are have an active and competent interest in the subject matter. That's fascinating. Send them to my class. I, I So I just, while you were talking, I counted. I had zero from a midterm talking about mentioning oh. crypto. Whoa. So, you know, so maybe your class is the Vanguard or maybe they're just the, you know, <laughs> slow one, the laggards. Who knows? But I, I find it interesting to see how, you know, because the thing that I always remind people of is you, especially teenagers and, and young people, they are the ones that set the tone. They determine what's cool. It's not middle-aged white dudes like me, as much as I like to think that that's the case. Absolutely no one gives a crap about my music and my preferred styles and ch consumer choices because it's just not a thing, right? So young people, they have a real ability to like shape popular culture and, and make things seem acceptable and seem appropriate. I think they can lead a lot of cultural discussions, but also, of course, the commercialization and like the things that these type of industries create. So crypto, when I go to these conferences... It, I mean, I'm just surrounded by young people and just like, this is very strange because, you know, they make this a hot thing, whereas it's a, you know, I'm a dinosaur and I always feel totally yeah. out of place. But, but I mean, yeah, crypto, crypto is a young man's, it's a young man's game. Now it's time for Pones and Owns. Yoast, I hear you got an own. I have an own. I'm so excited. It's probably because I've just been in a good mood because of Thanksgiving. But researchers have discovered... It's two weeks away. I'm sorry. I, 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 Halloween? Halloween. Your God, pineapple baby? Put my pineapple baby. I've just, you know, like I just, I, I, I live for that. Sorry about Thanksgiving. For all your Thanksgiving, yay or naysayers, I got to mix up. My own for the week is the finding by researchers that bumblebees like to play. In fact, they roll little balls around in a in a type of behavior that they can only classify as playful behavior, playing with inanimate objects. And it's something that they observe in lots of animals. Mammals do this all the time, monkeys, blah, 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 birds. But until now, there's never been a record of any insects showing this behavior, displaying So this engaging behavior. in like non-productive activity basically non-productive activity or just having like a jolly time and you know bumblebees are like the, in the cast of insects they're probably among the most sympathetic ones yeah they're pretty right? charismatic and, yeah yeah as opposed to mosquitoes like nobody likes yeah. mosquitoes but bumblebees Earthworms, oh, heidi klum's costume throwback you know yeah yeah <laughs> ew 
So yes, how Earth, they, earthworms are also playful. Can you can you tell me how we how do we know that a a a, a bumblebee is having a great time? That's a good question. I, so I I read this article. The, these are the qualitative questions that someone in my line of work wants to wants to ask. So they they set up a system that lets them move in an unobstructed path to a sucrose solution in a feeding area. Right? So they basically just like build up the behavior, and then they place walls wooden balls, small wooden balls. Sorry, and they and they sort of just you know some of them are attached, some of them are not, and then. They start interacting with the balls with or without access to the sucrose. They're just like, you know what? Screw the sugar. It's all about ball play now. Oh, so this isn't naturally occurring bee behavior. We have under these weird circumstances figured out that a bee will play with a ball. Especially younger bees and male bees were interested in rolling the balls. Well, I hear younger bees are thought leaders. Thought leaders, they they deter their, their taste makers. It's it's fascinating, I, I love, like, but it's just such a like pleasant idea that there's out there. There's like bumblebees just right now. They're just kind of having a good time. They're just playing a little ball time with their with, with themselves and each other. I don't know. Yeah, and this is. I think just, that's a great. It's a great pitch for a game, actually. Like bumblebee ball. You know, I want to see <laughs> there it. You go. So, anything to complain about this week? What's your what's your what's your pound? Oh my god, endlessly. I mean, a more union busting from Activision Blizzard, but. You know, just add that to the stack. Obviously, that's a pwn. But the the pwn that delighted me the most this week was the kerfluffle around Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. They have been getting some bad press for basing some of its game maps on real world locations. And probably there's like three of these that have come out so far. But the most significant one is the map for the Breenberg Hotel in Modern Warfare 2, which is based on a Amsterdam hotel called the Consortium Hotel, so close to your heart, Yoast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and the rendering of the hotel is is like visually identifiable as the Consortium Hotel. And you know you're supposed to have some sort of slaughterhouse bloodbath in the lobby. And the <laughs> the hotel made a statement. I guess this was brought to their attention somehow, and they they made a statement. You know, essentially saying that the hotel does not encourage violence. And that mm. Modern Warfare 2 does not reflect the hotel's values, which I love this, this sort of cover your ass legal moment we live in. It's it's pretty it's pretty funny to me. Also, you know, there's been a lot of Twitter bustle over this. There's conflicting reports about whether or not the hotel might sue. It's also incredibly silly about about a game that like, yeah, it's just it's just about murder. So you know, I'm I don't mind Call of Duty having to have a tough time. I I know that you're not a fan. I, so let me let me first. I mean, I love a headshot, you know, but but there is something the the amount of oxygen that game takes up. I can I can I can do with a little less. No, absolutely. It's a you know, it's it's just one expression of how amazing games are in a world full of lots of other expressions. I used to live not too far from there. It's a, it's a, it's at the, at the north part of the Vondel Park, which is the main, is sort of the central park of Amsterdam. I, it's also where they have, it's, it's, so you said the name wrong. It's not the consortium, it's the conservatorium. Hotel, oh, oh, geez. which and I'm the conservatorium, and it's, it's just yeah, whatever. It's just another word with a C, but it's just a totally different word. Don't worry my brother that. used to go to music school, which is called 
conservatorium in Dutch. And that I think I believe that that was his school building. So I'd be okay. interested to see what his opinion on this is. It's also right next to the um, Van Gogh Museum and a bunch of other famous places. So it's like a it's a, it's a wild spot. So, but that's not a here or there. What's interesting is that architecture is copyrighted under European law. Oh, and so I didn't they might know actually that. have a case. They might actually have a case against Activision for the unwanted quoted portrayal of their hotel so they spoke out against it they're like yeah no thanks we're not doing this which is interesting you know if you think of it like you could copyright your architecture that's that's god so many things better in europe all right well that's it for pones and owns it brings us to the end of our podcast and our journey with you dear listener please remember to like subscribe and share and as ever good night and good game